0: Welcome to another Sustainable Wine Podcast. My name is Toby Webb I'm delighted to be in the Muchau Winery in Alentejo in Portugal with Ian Richardson, um, who is uh, general manager of and part of the family that owns it. So welcome to the Sustainable Wine Podcast, Ian. Thank you very much, pleasure to be a part of it. Thanks so much for showing us around your um, rather enormous estate and I know there are a lot of large estates here in Alentejo, um, but we've, we've seen quite a lot Uh, of your vineyards we've seen the 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 various cork forests and and other things that you have here very interesting to see um and hear about the challenges of adaptation to climate change Uh, so perhaps we could talk a bit about that what are some of the challenges you face here at at around climate change and perhaps before you answer that just tell the listeners you know how much um wine you make uh, the grapes you use, and then yeah. we'll talk about the adaptation side. Okay,
1: well, we're, we're, the, the property, Monshau, is, is, is roughly 900 hectares, and of that, only 43 are planted under, under vines. So we're, we're, we're fairly limited in terms of area. Um, and uh, most of that is, is, was planted in the last sort of 20 odd years. So we, we, I'm, I'm starting to go into history here, which perhaps you don't want to hear, but. But um, until the 1970s, we only really had 14 hectares. And then, of course, we had the expropri- expropriation years, which was 10 years without ownership here. It fell to a communist cooperative, and eventually got it back, and now we're up to 43. So yes, that's our that's our sort of main breadwinner, if you like. Um, the rest is forestry. We've got a little bit of uh, uh, 50 hectares of olives as well. Um, <coughs> going to onto climate change and how that's affected us, um, um, it's really hit us quite hard in the last uh, twenty odd years. Especially, we never used to harvest in 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 August before. It was we'd always start in the sort of second week of September. It would be a normal harvest date to start, but now we're harvesting the whites probably second week of August, the reds third and fourth, and um, we've noticed a lot of difference in uh, in some aspects of of maturation as well. The, um, sometimes the phenological ripeness can only be achieved by leaving the grapes on the vines for a fairly long time. And uh, we've got a three-way maturation issue here at Moshan because it's not just acids and sugars, we have to look at um, the maturation of our stems as well because we still tread 100 percent, all our grapes are trodden 100 percent, so the stems go into the fruit, into the juice as well. And they need to be well lignified. (coughs) We don't want them green and sappy, so we've got this rather strange three-way balance that we're trying, trying to trying to find when it comes to, mm-hmm. to harvest. Um, climate change, the biggest impact it's really had uh, for us here is um, throwing that sort of balance uh, uh, quite a bit further out. So we've got, uh, when you get up to beaumaze, let's say 14 and a half, 15, we've still got some rather green and sappy um, stems. Acidities, were still under control, I think, on the whole. Um, that's not so much of an issue. Our biggest challenge really is in the vineyard. So, um, in our worst years of of, uh, worst years, we've had problems with with, uh, heat and and lack of humidity. uh, It's it's been fairly obvious to us that the vines that that really withstood um, these stress conditions were those that didn't have any irrigation so we're going back to that now Um, we've spent many years perhaps wrongly for the last 20 years irrigating often and little um, which is a a bit of a mistake in the sense that it it rather incentivized the roots to to stay near the surface and so when we did get those long periods of heat waves and we've had one just two years ago which was over 45 46 degrees for five days on the trot and that actually threw um, our Alicante Boucher, which is our main variety, that decimated the, the crop I and mean, we thought that was going to be extremely resilient, fully enough, the Alicante Boucher, and it was the one that suffered the most. Um, and the one that we thought was going to suffer the most, which was Tempranillo, or what we call Aragonese, that's the one that actually did, wasn't touched at all, it was quite bizarre. Um, but uh, so uh, irrigation is something that we're, we're trying to uh, phase out. We're just getting involved with the sustainability program of the Alentejo, in the sense that we're looking now at, uh, at uh, soil moisture sensors, which I've personally used in the past, the last 25-30 years, um, but never here at Morsham before. But um, I think that's
0: going to help us manage, um, manage that uh, aspect. Um, so what else have you learned from being in the Wines of Alentejo sustainability program? Because it, it's one of the, the, the top programs in the world, it's it, it's not easy, but nothing good in sustainability or anything is easy. What have you yeah. learned from the process? What have, what have been some of the benefits? Well, I think the very fact that they've uh, they made us ask questions is is a is a, um,
1: uh, a very good thing. So we're starting to to measure how much water we're using from the dam from our our boreholes. Um, uh, they're a very very good outfit in the sense that they've got a great leader in in Joao Bohozo, and I'm not just saying that he really is. Um, He's got such enthusiasm for what he does, and that, that really drags us all along. And um, I don't think it was for someone like Joao, who can actually just keep talking and keep it going and keep everyone bubbling. You know, he, he really has made a huge difference to, to the way we're looking at things as well in in the vineyard and um, everything else. Um, what we've actually done in terms of changes in the vineyard, I'd say uh, uh, we were sort of doing most of this already, but they're, they're making it, they're bringing it into sort of mainstream thought Now, which was non-mobilization, replanting east-west rather than north-south which is the old sort of you know Richard Smart way to go. Great scientists, don't get me wrong but you know science does move on and now we need shading so we do the east-west and let the canopy sort of fall over it on the south side. Um, That's something that that you were starting to look at as well. Um, We're still doing um, Cordon Royat. we haven't changed the actual um, system, training system itself. But what we're really doing with new plantings is we're just, uh, I bought this huge system thing, 10,000 litre thing on wheels and uh, with 50 meter hoses on the back and we're irrigating all our vines by hand three or four times a year. These are our newly planted vines. And um, we're going to do that three or four years and then just let them sort themselves out after that. But um, that's- So that really helps
0: build resilience in the vine. It really does. You give them a lot
1: of water. So you really want to give them uh, maybe 20 to 35 litres of water per irrigation, and then go back five weeks later and give it another another shot, and do that three or four times. Obviously, weather dependent. If it rains in the meantime, mm. it's great, but a
0: bonus. And it's not likely, but um, but yeah, that's uh, that's really. Is that what an we're unusual doing. practice? Is that something you came up with, or, or did you hear about it from others through the, the Wine Toldo program or, or elsewhere? No, um, that's just something that we looked at it. I mean, I think intuitively we saw what was
1: happening with the the irrigated vineyards on on Mochao. There's not too many of them and we haven't really used in the last seven or eight years. I wanted to wean them off uh, uh, their irrigation, but it's a bit naive or a bit utopic to think that that can actually work, because the rooting system, and it's been there for 25 years, you can't really retrain an old vine to do something different at this stage. So, we're going to have to keep irrigating some of those in particular difficult years. And this is really why we're asking um, uh, the CVRA and Joan Borosa to sort of help us out with, um, with the amount of water we actually apply to the, to the vineyards. Do you think
0: you can learn from other parts of the world about what they're doing around adaptation? I mean, part of the mission of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, which we want really to try and bring <laughs> winemakers and grape growers together amongst other parts of the value chain, to talk about how they can share lessons in, in areas like adaptation.
1: Well, I always I always turn to Australia because that's that's what I always think they're the, they're ahead of the game compared to most other countries when it comes to viticulture, and uh, um, I, I do read their their mags regularly, <laughs> and uh, I just love reading. I mean, there's not much coming out of late as to what you can do to actually uh, better your. I, I should mention something which is um, possibly. Uh, biochar is something that I bought some drums and we're sort of having them some made up but it's very experimental but I know that in a a place we've got low rainfall like we have if we can start maybe I mean it's a bit utopic again um, start placing some biochar obviously inoculated because part of the problem of biochar is it only works if it is properly inoculated and actually place that along the roads that would be absolutely marvelous but you know this is early days Um, we're looking at that obviously um, there are different systems for, for, for um, storing water on the surface, which they use in Herres, for example, where they actually have uh, undulating um, against the gradient uh, um, uh, ditches, as it were. Um, there's, an, there's an old vineyard, but we're ripping it up, so there's no point in talking about that. But we would have, we, we, we had considered using that as well. Um, uh, yes, I mean there's a lot of stuff that one reads about, but it, its application in terms of practice is is pretty limited
0: still. Apart yeah, from I mean, the stuff is very much to. so. It's so dependent on where you are, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. we've seen that in the last couple of hours touring your your estate. You know, everything's very specific to the. Yeah, you know, the know,
1: know, 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 One thing I perhaps didn't touch on was uh, um, varietal resilience. I mean, uh, it's it's amazing how uh, little we know about it. Um, There are some varieties, for example, that we know, or we thought we knew, were resilient, like Alicante Boucher, and we lost everything just two years ago, virtually everything, and uh, the vice versa happened with the the Tempranillo. We've got other varieties like Baga, a very good, supposedly very good, Torriga Franca, these are varieties which are thought to be relatively resistant, so I don't know whether they're isohydric or anisohydric in this case, but but they're thought to be quite uh, drought tolerant, and so far, I think it's probably true, not the National, but the Toriga Franca certainly appears to be. Uh, Syrah is very much clone-dependent, as far as I'm concerned, and that might, might not be true, it's just a gut feel I've got. Um, Alicant is a late harvester, unlike most people say it's not. Um, but it does, um, it does obviously have its uh,
0: vulnerabilities to climate change as well, and we didn't expect that. We haven't expected it. Great. Well, thank you so much for the insights. Um, One of the things we're focusing on at the Sustainable Wine website, the Roundtable, is trying to highlight the potential for kind of landscape approaches um, in places like Alantesia, where you have these large estates with mixed land use, you have cork forests that need protection. So um, just a final question, do you see potential there for demonstrating the value of cork and its land to the wine industry I, I, I was thinking a future of carbon offsets and land protection in the industry for those companies wishing to offset their emissions surely somewhere like this is is a place they could look yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's really uh, f- we've got two companies here one is one is uh, basically
1: forestry and the other is is wine and it's very much a function of where you're going to place your boundaries whether the company or geographic or whatever but but um yes there's, there's definitely um, um an interest in, certainly within the Moshau itself, of being able to do that. Uh, We can probably be, in fact we're probably carbon uh, positive now if that's such a thing. Uh, Already, I think you're highly likely. uh, We've got all the forest under FSC uh, certification, it's quite hard work in terms of paperwork and everything else. We're we're about to do the carbon um, under the ecosystem services as well through FSC, but that's in the forestry, and then we're looking at whole farm uh, systems, uh, ways of auditing as well. So that's probably going to happen this year. We're expecting that to be started, or at least we have a baseline created by the end of uh, 2022. And um, yeah, I think that's certainly the way to go. We've had been approached by some some people in the private sector, and I think that could be interesting for us in terms of voluntary um, voluntary um, carbon. Uh, but uh, it's still early days. From a regulator, regulatory point of view we're still a little bit in the dark it's a lot of stuff out there that 's not very clear yeah. and what we'd like to do is just do a very very good appraisal and, and good um, uh, uh, what's the word baseline project so that we know that we can doing something that is serious in other words that we can actually make a make a good difference and and, and people can look at it and actually yep. understand that it's uh, making a difference
0: well I mean I think there's so much interest now in effective land use you know i can see once some of the current complexities are worked out there could be some serious potential for for land like yours to be enhanced or protected by um, you know, with the assistance mm-hmm. of others um so let's see how that plays out and ian thanks so much for your time and hospitality today. oh it was a huge pleasure thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it